Suddenly this week, it's become respectable to wonder if COVID-19 actually did originate in the virus lab in Wuhan, China. I guess that's good news for anybody who cares about the fair treatment of evidence. Unfortunately, also over the last few weeks, it seems to have become almost respectable in some circles to excuse raw anti-Semitism in the light of war conditions in Gaza. We're going to explore these issues and a number of others in today's episode of Independent Outlook. Welcome, everybody. I'm Graham Walker coming to you from the Independent Institute. We are here in Oakland, California, across the bay from San Francisco. Uh, and we're delighted to bring you what I think is an independent perspective or outlook on the issues of the day. And of course, I am joined for this conversation by my two very erudite colleagues. First of all, uh, David Thoreau. Welcome, David Thoreau, president of the Independent Institute. Thank you, Graham. Great to have you with us. Also, uh, Bill Evers, who is Dr. Williamson Evers, we call him Bill, who is the director of our Center on Educational Excellence. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you both, obviously. So today is a good day um, to talk about the issue of where the COVID-19 virus came from. It's an especially good day because of the fact that earlier today, President Biden made this big announcement. Um, he reported <clears throat> to the country that he had gotten a report previously commissioned from his uh, intelligence experts. And the report seemed inconclusive as to whether the virus originally emerged from human contact with an infected animal or from a laboratory accident, he said. And so he wanted, quote unquote, additional follow up. He's now mandated a new study supposed to be done in 90 days uh, because President Biden admits uh, there do not. He do, we do not believe there is sufficient information to assess one explanation to be more likely than the other explanation. Wow. Now, wasn't it just, if I'm, am I not mistaken, am I right here mistaken that just a few months ago, only right-wing crackpot wackos wearing tin hats who are QAnon followers were willing to consider the possibility, which would to ordinary people seem pretty likely, that when you've got a, a, a coronavirus lab in Wuhan and the coronavirus emerges from Wuhan, that it might well have been connected. Crazy crackpot said that, but now suddenly the president of the United States is entertaining that explanation. What's this mean? Well, I think, you know, I think you're, you're, you're very colorful. But I'm trying to be. <laughs> but, but some serious people also entertain this from early days. Uh, yes. Certainly Senator Cotton entertained it. A number of the hosts on uh, Fox News Channel entertained it. Uh, they didn't generally say, we know it happened this way, but they said right. this deserves a lot of consideration. There's a lot of circumstantial evidence. Look where it broke out and look what's right next door. The bat caves are not next door. The lab is. No, that's right. And uh, so the real thing that drove the president to make this announcement was the stories that his, well, there were two things. One was a leak of information that the State Department had gathered that three people had been hospitalized in Wuhan in November with uh, coronavirus type syndromes, symptoms. And uh, second was that his administration had shut down the Trump administration, the Pompeo State Department's investigation into this, which was where the information about the three people had come from. And so having shut this down, he looked really bad. 
mm -hmm. uh, now that the information has come out about specific people and how long ago it was. And so he, you know, he's trying to scramble to catch up like a politician would do. So just to be clear, it was it was embarrassing because there were three people from the lab who had to be they were so sick with covid like yeah. symptoms. They had to be hospitalized. And this was at least a month before anybody thought there was anything going on yes. with a new virus. Right. This is November 2019. Exactly. The first case uh, of covid uh, in China was in December, early December. Uh, and uh, the sorry aspect of this Biden uh, situation is that he totally backpedaled just 24 hours after CNN uh, ran a story about the fact that he had secretly canceled this State Department study. Right. And so by the Biden people are, are, you know, they're unscrupulous. You know, they're totally politically motivated and it's not based on the science. It's not even based on common sense. It's based on um, reaction, reacting to CNN and the right, Wall Street exactly. Journal. But the bigger, the bigger story about the skepticism and dismissal and people being called conspiracy nuts and so forth, uh, totally reversed, starting with the expose in the magazine, The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist by Nicholas Wade. It's a detailed study article. And he's, and he's, he's a basically blows. The former, former highly reputable science writer for the New York Times, many, exactly. many decades. Right. So the, the difference was that um, the ideological credentials uh, of people are far more important than science and honesty. And the idea of journalism uh, being a field in which you're trying to get to the truth is trumped by politics. So Wade, to his great credit, and the Bulletin, to its great credit, ran yes. this article, mm -hmm. and that totally shocked the entire media. And so yeah. ever since then, we've seen it percolating through uh, and backtracking. Uh, the Washington Post, for example, uh, this this one reporter, Kessler, attacked uh, Senator Kessler's Cotton. Kessler's their fact-checking fact guy. Right, their fact-checking oh, mm -hmm. guy attacked Kessler and Senator Cruz. Um, Are they the ones who them. give out those Pinocchio things? Well, Cruz gave out for no, no. the Washington Post. Kessler does give out. Yeah, yeah he right. gives out Pinocchios, but now Cruz is imitating by giving that's out right. his own Pinocchio. He gave out his own for Pinocchio <laughs> uh, in response. Um, but now we've seen this this reversal in the establishment. Of course, Trump's not in power now. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump was talking about it was the Chinese virus at Wuhan. Right. And that alone, to a lot of people, meant it was not credible. Uh, Fauci um, dismissed it repeatedly, um, and he's been—he's essentially been cornered on this as well. Yes, he has. So many Aaron, other. Aaron, many Aaron other, Blake in the New York Times wrote an article saying journalists, out of their hostility to Trump, were blind to the right. fact that this could have emerged from this lab in Wuhan. Now, we still aren't sure of this. Yeah, we don't know. The, the question is, is it possible? Should it be investigated? And, and everyone right. was saying, no, 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 it's not possible. Don't even I, investigate it. There I is think, zero think, evidence. There is zero evidence that it came from a wet market. There absolutely is no evidence whatsoever. There is no evidence of any animals that would be transition animals. 
none whatsoever. After 15 months of investigating, right. all the evidence, circumstantial, points to the lab. Yeah. And so, part so. of this also is the, is the cover-up that Fauci and others, Francis Collins and others did, of denying that they were funding gain of function research and that the money went to the Wuhan lab. So gain as, of, as Fauci's been cornered, he's had to admit step by step that he was lying. The gain, so of, gain, function, gain of function just means mm -hmm. the, the, the virus can do certain things as right. they find it. And if they tinker with it, it can do more things. So it's gaining functions. Gaining right. Why would you want a virus to gain functions? Well, if you're trying to counter that virus, hmm. you want to see what it can do and then counter that. Also, of course, if you're engaged in germ warfare, you might want to do it. I was going to say, yeah. Right. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology is known for being a place where bioweapon research is conducted. And Fauci himself has even suggested uh, things in this regard. And people who've been involved in the research also are known for being in favor of such things. So to the Obama administration's credit, they essentially banned providing gain of function funding, funding of gain of reason, of funding, uh, gain of function, function funding. Uh, this was in 2013, I think. Mm -hmm. 14. But, bureauc uh, and but bureaucrats will have their way. Right. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, they had a, a loophole added to it. Right. But the only way the loophole could be approved was by the person who was the head of the NIAID or NIH or both. So that comes back to Fauci and to Francis Collins, who've claimed at different times they were opposed to it. Nothing ever happened. They knew nothing about it. So this whole thing also brings in another whole dimension, which is uh, the view that some people have that the deep state had a deliberate campaign to take down Trump. And whether the, the COVID-19 pandemic was used or extended or lied about. Exploited at least. Exploited, uh, fear-mongered and so forth. Well, um, I, think, I think, you know, People's political opponents will take any handle that they can get. Right. I think I think the key thing, by the way, is not so much that Fauci and Collins couldn't find this money because in their vast budgets, which are a lot bigger than people realize, uh, some of this may have just been too obscure. It's really the Chinese uh, and their problems. I mean, the Chinese, after SARS, tried to have some kind of thing that would escape political shutdown of information. They, mm -hmm. they tried to have immediate doctors immediately putting into a central thing. But the local commissars in Wuhan blocked the doctors from reporting on this thing. I think, right. I think Wade's conclusion to this article that he wrote in the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists is so important that I want to just read a little bit if that's oh, okay. Oh, I totally agree with you. Okay. You should read, the, read that bit. Okay. If the case that COVID originated in a lab is so substantial, why isn't it more widely known? As may now be obvious, there are many people who have reason not to talk about it. That's right. The list is led, of course, by the Chinese authority authorities, but virologists in the United States and Europe have no great interest in igniting a public debate about the gain of function experiments that their community has been pursuing for years. 
nor have other scientists stepped forward to raise the issue. Government research funds are distributed on the advice of committees of scientific experts drawn from universities. Anyone who rocks the boat by raising awkward political questions runs the risk that their grant will not be renewed mm -hmm. and their research career will, will be ended. Maybe good behavior is rewarded with many perks that slosh around the dis distribution system. And if you thought that certain people might be blotted their reputation for scientific objectivity after their partisan attacks on the lab escape scenario, look at the second and third names on the lists of recipients of the $82 million grant announced. Anyway, the point is the scientific establishment procedures and the way money gets distributed in research grants all have incentives against properly pursuing safety and the public interest. This is and, not a good situation. And scientific, the scientific enterprise is second to these other factors. Political other factors. Words, science and is self, politicized. And self-serving. Uh, right. Self-serving in, in an ugly way, not right. in, a, in a benign way. We, saw it, we see this in many areas, uh, including the climate issue. But I think that's been a rude awakening for a lot of people, including a lot of the mainstream media, to con be confronted with this blaring scam that's been conducted. I mean, for example, in the, in the campaign to discredit people raising the question of whether this should be looked into, did the uh, virus escape from a lab? Uh, was Peter Daszak. So Peter Daszak uh, put together a letter uh, in The Lancet, which was signed by others, basically saying that there is no evidence for the lab's theory, hypothesis, and that people who raise it are just conspiracy mongers. No one in the media pointed out that Daszak was the, was the conduit for the funding to the lab. Right. I mean, it, it's at so least six hundred thousand dollars worth. No, there's plenty. Talking, of, there's plenty. Oh, of this people. is the one point three million dollars. There's plenty. Of, there's plenty it's, of people it's who look six bad. Point, I think six point seven million total. Gracious. Right, and uh, but so the uh, the internal uh, conflict of interest is so glaring that it, it's 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 beyond shocking. So think, if, we have, also, if we have though, an epidemic, if we have an epidemic, which turns out um, was triggered uh, by a lab funded by the U.S. government under, the, under essentially the blanket, in other words, not publicly known. Trump never knew about this. Most, who did, right? It had to be dug out persistently by the people who were being attacked by the establishment for even raising right. the question. Well, I think, I think bad as the United States is in this, the United States government, I think we have to say something about how bad China is because yes. right. not, not only did they have this repression by the, the commissars and not letting them report, the doctors report that what was going on, but because they have such a monolithic to, somewhat totalitarian, certainly authoritarian system, 
They don't have alternative channels of information. So yep, right. if you tried to put something out on the internet, that would get centered, censored. If you tried to put something in your local newspaper about this, that would get censored. So in America, if you try to cover up something, it's pretty hard. People leak all over the place and you can get published about it. Thank you. And, and I know this is, of course, a very good feature. And so, you know, China decides well, we don't want to look bad or we don't want to look incompetent and the local bureaucrats <laughs> worry about, you know, how they're going to survive politically. And so they clamp down on the truth. And as a result, millions of people die. Yeah, power corrupts and bureaucracy has a certain continuity wherever it's government bureaucracy has a certain continuity of, of how it functions, regardless of party, ideology, whatever. But I do think that this, I mean, who in America thought the CDC was uh, complicit in creating, facilitating a pandemic? I mean, who, who would have, and then covering up for it? Or that the National Institute of Health, which is supposed to protecting people from these kinds of scourges, would be the funder of it. I mean, so I think that what we're seeing is uh, the stripping away of a certain veil of ignorance, mm -hmm. using a Rawlsian term, uh, to see objectively what is at, pretty troubling. at hand. It's pretty, right? tr pretty troubling. And this idea that the government's science is going to be not unpolitical is yes. rather exposed as a, a delusion. Right, so this is really- So this doesn't key. mean we're against science. We love no, science, all three not a of bit. us. Uh, well, we're, we're talking about- We're the talking about incentive, incentives and politicalization, right? Right, exactly. And so I think that what we're seeing is a key element of the progressive narrative being questioned uh, essentially empirically for being utterly false Mm -hmm. Scientific managers should tell us all what to do. Right, exactly. Uh, and that these people are high priests. And deceive and whatever. Right. <laughs> these are high priests of the culture that people, def de and, and they, they believe that when they say, well, look at the science. This is all based on the science. Uh, well, when, when the, when the, uh, we, the we person behind the curtain to, we is exposed. We want people to follow the science too, but right. we want it to be actual, actual science. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. So at the Independent Institute, we've had a number of articles in our quarterly journal, the Independent Review, about the problems of uh, funding and uh, the control of science by uh, government institutions and, why, and showing why science developed without that and it needs to be strengthened by being depoliticized. Liberate science from right. government. Exactly. So I think that this is a huge shift and it, it continues to percolate and resonate through the elite culture. And a lot of people who had their own uh, skepticism about what was being told to them, I think, as you're saying, Graham, the average person would think, well, if this is the, the only place in China one of the few places in the entire world that does this research. Um, there are other places in the world that do research in pathologies and so forth and virology, but this one in particular had a, sp a specific expertise in concentration. I mean, the US government sent pathogens 
from around the world to this lab right. to be used. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. I also think the fact that the Biden people have now said they're going to do their own more thorough investigation right. yes. uh, shows that they're no longer upholding the World Health Organization as the be-all and end-all in this. And Having just sort of deferred right. to them last right. week. That's right. I know. It's, yep. <laughs> it's right. pretty, it's pretty a stunning another turnaround. obvious revealing political step on their part. Right. I mean, right. You know, I, I want to take a moment, if you'll let me, um, to... to come at some of these facts from a slightly different angle. It's it, it actually come to the same conclusion, but the, the different angle is this. If I can get this right in my own mind, while I would say that uh, Dr. Fauci has been remarkably slippery over the past year or so uh, and has said a variety of things that makes me really wonder where he's coming from, I think that others may be examples of how even well-intentioned people who operate within this system of incentives and control can be kind of led in the wrong direction. For example, Francis Collins, there's a lot of reasons to uh, have confidence in his in good intentions and his expertise and so forth. But but even he is part of a system where the incentives are such that, you know, he, he wanted, he, he seemed not to realize, first of all, that money is fungible. You know, if you fund you're not gaining gain-of-function research, he said at one point, but then it turns out, of course, you fund this money, then it frees up other money to do the gain-of-function research. But then it turns out that actually they were un un undermining the Obama-era prohibition on gain-of-function research, and he surely would have known about that. Even a good man, in other words, my point being, can find himself kind of caught up in the tangle of a system that operates with these incentives and these kind of controls. I think it's worse than that, Graham, but I, I understand your point. But, it, but in Colin's case, in Fauci's case, you really can't make that argument. Especially in Fauci's because, case. Right. And, and the reason is because uh, at the, uh, and it's part of the public document from the Wuhan lab by the head of the lab, the so-called bat lady, uh, bat woman, in Dr. which she thanks the NIH and NIAID and Dr. Fauci providing the funding for the research, the gain of function research. So this was not something that was uh, an accident. Um, secret. Or a secret. And I also, I also would question, I also would question the morality of people who believe that taxpayers should be forced to fund right. research to develop pathological, biological, uh, the dangerous entities uh, in a country with an authoritarian exactly. state. Exactly. Terrible, terrible judgment required and, for and, that. And bad safety records. And bad yeah. safety records. I now, mean, the, the record, the, the, there are four levels, apparently, of safety mm. uh, in these labs worldwide. And the standard in the Wuhan lab was apparently no higher than what you find in a normal dentist's office. <laughs> yeah. I think we are getting more and more depressed talking about this. We need to move to a new topic. Well, hold on. There's a little more right. to say. Right. I mean, you know, uh, David said a moment ago, not accidental. Well, I want to be really clear that people don't misunderstand that statement. I don't think you were saying that there was a deliberate intent to create COVID-19 and unleash it on the world on the part of American officials. I don't think no, that anyone's I, saying that. No, no one's saying that, but I think that there was definitely complicity in developing the pathogen itself. Yes, right. And that's the whole point of gain of, yeah. gain of function. Exactly. And if you're, if, the if you're picking a lab 
in the world that's known for, and this is not new, that was known for having not a high level of safety, why would you fund it with a dangerous pathogen right. like this? Giving I mean, money it's, to people it's reckless you know. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, I do think that, you know, the, the swamp <laughs> has a factor, you know, power does corrupt. And I think that people of goodwill can be yeah. corrupted like mm -hmm. people of ill will. Right. And of course, as Bill pointed out, the Chinese government is actually the worst player in the story because yes. uh, they're the ones responsible for the relatively insecure and unsafe conditions in the lab. They're responsible for the bio research, bioweapon research going on there. They're responsible for or not having, containing it at the beginning. Not containing when they it, have. concealing the information that could and have spared millions of people their life. Right. I mean, the U.S. government did not clamp down on the release of information from that lab. The Chinese government did. Right. And, and, uh, and to this day, the, the lab refuses to they refuse. share the documents. Of... Right. That's why we're not sure what happened. That's right. right. That's okay, exactly so right. Um, you, you pointed out to us earlier this remarkable piece uh, in the uh, May 5th uh, issue of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. Here's the very last piece. Um, I, I want to read it just a little more because I think it's so striking. Uh, the author, Nicholas Wade, who is no right-winger, but in fact, perhaps the opposite from a political point of view. He says, the more months pass without the natural emergence theory gaining a shred of supporting evidence, the less plausible it may seem. Yep. That's right. The common sense perception that a pandemic breaking out in Wuhan might have something to do with a Wuhan lab cooking up novel viruses of maximal danger in unsafe conditions could eventually displace the ideological insistence that whatever Trump said can't be true. That's right. And then he concludes, let the reckoning begin. Right, and the reckoning has begun. It's remarkable, right. it really is. So uh, changing the subject, but not entirely, I still wanna talk a little bit about the virus. Um, I found also uh, remarkable that uh, the New York Times over the past uh, two weeks has been blowing the cover of the CDC on issues of perhaps less dramatic magnitude than we've just been talking about, but on, on the issue of masking and rules and so forth. The New York Times now has become a CDC skeptic. Yes. Uh, there's a remarkable reporting by their lead reporter on the subject, David, Le David Leonhardt, which is worth worth seeing. Uh, where he, No conservative. No conservative in any way at all. But it turns out that the New York Times, through this gentleman's work, is now casting extreme uh, doubt and skepticism on the claims by the CDC about the importance of masking. In particular, most recent issued guidelines urging people to wear masks, even outdoors, especially if you're going to summer camp and you're a child, wear a mask all the time, they said during this upcoming summer season. Uh, and because uh, Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC, said that studies show that uh, less than 10% of COVID transmission occurred outside. That was what her statement was. Okay, so less than 10%. Uh, uh, right. They dug into that. <laughs> yeah, so they dug in less than 10%. Turns out, turns out that it's way less than 10%. In fact, it may be less than 1%. In fact, because less than 10% sounds like 9%. It sounds like 9%, exactly. That's right. right. Exactly. It turns out is, that it's actually 0.1% according to the best virologists that they spoke to for outside transmission. This is nonsense that nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds going right. to summer camp 
should be going around in masks outside. That's ridiculous. Right. right. So, so, so what do masks do? They protect against, and of course it depends on how fine screened the mask is, but they essentially protect other people from you if you're infected and you're having spitting out big droplets. Mm -hmm. They don't, unless they're very fine and very perfectly fitted, the little tiny droplets that are well, going to escape anyway. Especially outdoors. I mean, this was but the outdoors, reason. it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to happen outdoors. They're also not, now pointing out that masks are pointless indoors. And the, I don't think we're going to get into the exact. Anyway, the, the, I think the, the, the bottom, the, 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 the main lesson here is that when Wade's piece came out, and that just was a shock, mm -hmm. that a lot of these journalists are saying, well, I better distance myself from all uh, the social distance. What also. other claims <laughs> are not, so, can be substantiated? Right. And so the masks are part of it. Um, I think the next that's going to be increasingly questioned is uh, the vaccines is going right. to be questioned, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, especially for sure children, right for yeah, children, for children. Right. And I, I think and, and there, there's more and more information coming out about uh, serious problems uh, from the vaccines. I mean, you have to remember that none of the vaccine companies have any liability. They are limited, granted exemptions. zero liability. The government agencies have no liability. So if it's safe, why? It's because they don't want to risk that. And they want their insurance rates to well, be It was a reduced. subsidy to speed things up. Yeah, I think, I think, speed thing, but the, but I, think, I think the most interesting thing is there, there was a great article in the Financial Times on, you know, who's our model nation? Who, who did it perfectly? You know, and so at one point they were saying, Oh, Germany is doing it perfectly. And at another point, France is doing it well. I thought Japan it was Florida. Is doing it well, I thought it was Florida. Or, or South Korea is doing it well. <laughs> He's talking and, about before that. I know. <laughs> so all these different countries that were, and people would say, oh, such and such has cooperative spirit or deference to authority. And that's why, and they're, or they're very, the Germans are very well organized and, you know, buy their platform tickets to get on when they come into the train station. So it turns out that the disease doesn't pay any attention to this stuff. Uh, you know, every different, on all the different countries of the world, they've tried all different policies. Basically, the disease is able to get around most of them. And the thing that is knocking the disease down is the prevalence of the vaccine and the increasing number of people who've survived the infection or gotten mild versions. Right. So that is what is bringing these numbers down. So now very few people are dying. Very few people are getting serious cases. You know, what really troubles me, though, is when our, uh, you know, academic or, you know, hyper-educated experts whose expertise should command respect, when they overreach, what it, the effect it has is that it calls into question the legitimacy or credibility of everything that managerial experts say. And that's really, uh, really regrettable. There are times when experts have expert knowledge, it's worth listening to them. But, but when so often under these ideological conditions, they overreach on the denying. It's also, also self-interestedness. Look at the teachers union and how yes, they right. have gamed this. They essentially went on a strike Yep. using health claims and extorted hundreds of millions, billions of dollars from different levels of government that they otherwise would not have gotten. 
and they did not have to work in person. I'm not saying it was easy to do remote learning, uh, no. but it wasn't also very effective, except for some percent, five to 10% of the kids did fine and, and would like to continue. Of course, the unions <laughs> are preventing them from continuing. New Jersey, New York, these states have said, oh, no, we're not going to allow remote learning anymore for the people who want it. I mean, so, who's, the, who's the customer here? Is it just the head of the teachers' unions, or is it parents and children? Bill, what I'm, I'm also it. saying is that the attack on uh, therapeutics like hydroxychloroquine and zinc, uh, the, the push to have complete lockdowns, and so on and so forth, it's all based allegedly on the science. Right. And either there was no science or people didn't know. Now we know that, that the therapeutics are extremely effective. They cost- Certainly got a much better uh, at handling people. Tiny, uh, under, tiny under cost. Doctor care now. So Big Pharma was not gonna cash in. Uh, in India, as they increased the vaccines, uh, the Indian rate of infections and deaths spiked. They, they ran out of vaccines relatively and they shifted to the therapeutics and the incidents have been dropping. So my point basically- I wouldn't want to be in India right now, no, truly. No, sure. absolutely not. <laughs> but my point again is that uh, I think Nicholas Wade should get a Pulitzer Prize for this. Oh, I do too. Absolutely. And I think we'll, see, that, we'll see if that happens. That's right. But I think that, that we, sh so we should all be in his Some prizes should be taken away from the New York Times. Right, for doing this and courageously, and the bulletin for being courageous to uh, take the lead. But as I said, it's opening up other questions that people have had, mm -hmm. including what you're talking about. Why are the teachers' unions being allowed to get away with this? What about the lockdowns? What about you know the, the view of, of masking People, uh, I mean, one of the most recent things, of course, in the spirit of Gavin Newsom, was that Gretchen Whitmer, uh, the governor of, of Michigan, was caught after her edicts uh, with a group of about uh, 12 or 15 colleagues in a restaurant unmasked without six foot distancing. And uh, so the elite is essentially admitting, and people are seeing, that the elite is admitting that these measures do not work. They're not they important. Were, they were used for other purposes. They're were, used for they fear. Used They're used for fear, keeping people in line control, and to push and a progressive agenda. Control. Yeah. And so as, as a result, I mean, again- Switmer and her friends were vaccinated, so in a sense, they were just prematurely living up to the Yeah, CBC's but that wasn't the rule. Of course. The claim was that if you're vaccinated, you still right, that was what she said. Mm -hmm. You still wrong. had to be six foot distance. It was obviously wrong. And, exactly. you know, but they were still not telling us that. They were, they were behaving as if they knew the truth. Okay, and here anyway. in California, of course, uh, things are changing because, you know, uh, great, uh, great, I'm grateful for the fact that the statistics are showing improved conditions of public health. At the same time, it is pretty interesting that uh, Governor Newsom, who is facing a recall largely because of his handling of the crisis, is now announcing complete cessation of all limitations as of June 15th. Uh, and, you know, with all these experts and leaders uh, apparently misusing their position and overreaching, it's hard not to be skeptical about the motivations behind the so-called opening of California. 
uh, to be, he wants to stay <laughs> off the recall. He wants to stay in in, yeah. in office. Yeah, and so you know, maybe maybe sometimes bad incentives can produce good results. But it just go. seems to me a darn shame that people who should know better really would overreach, you know, from their position of authority. You use the, we use the word science as a totem, you know, to to block any kind of discussion. That's really regrettable. And maybe this, maybe we can all learn something from this era of overreach and not let Account people accountability. Overreach. Accountability is you know personal responsibility. Yeah, that's right. Is inseparable to liberty. And Another good society. thing in the sense of this sort of thing is that the uh, Pennsylvania, the, uh, the state legislature decided that the governor had taken too many steps that, uh, you know, he had used emergency powers, he had used lockdowns, he had used closed businesses and restaurants and gyms and all this sort of stuff without really consulting the legislature, without getting additional right. powers or mm -hmm. temporary things. And so they've said, no, you're gonna, if you can have an emergency power, it expires. You're gonna, uh, mm -hmm. They have checks and balances that they restored. And I think that's a very, very valuable thing. And I hope some of the other states where the government, including Absolutely. California, where the Absolutely. governors just kind of took seize total state power, so to speak, uh, push back on this. I think in all those cases, the governors believed that they were exercising emergency powers previously granted. It just turns out that the grant of power had been far too broad and discretionary. Time to pull also, it back. You know, it's also not supposed to be forever. You know, it's supposed right. to be like a one day riot or something like that and not uh, a year. And this goes back to Whitmer's use of emergency powers in Michigan. Really as well. egregious. Yes. In, in Pennsylvania, I think the vote was something like, was it 55 to 60 percent in favor of eliminating the emergency power for the governor? And I think part of it also relates to the fact that a lot of people uh, remain unsettled about the November 3rd election. Uh, and there mm -hmm. were legitimate questions about whether governors and others could change uh, state election laws where the Constitution says that only legislatures can. And so here you have these governors with emergency- That problem in Pennsylvania. Right, among other exactly, places. yeah. I would like to turn our gaze uh, from the US for a short spell here, at least for part of our remaining hour, uh, program hour here, to uh, the Middle East, but also to the ramifications of the Middle Eastern conflict in Gaza and Israel uh, back uh, in North America and in Western Europe as well. As I said at the top of the uh, program, I find it remarkably disturbing uh, that there's this upsurge in uh, attacks and critiques and uh, both verbal and physical abuse against Jewish citizens, both in the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, and the justification for all this seems to be that somehow Jews in Western Europe and North America are somehow taken to be uh, representative of the Jewish state that is protecting itself against rocket attacks from Gaza. Uh, how can anti-Semitism be rearing its head without as much elite opposition as there should be? It's have already bought into critical race theory. And this is sort of a version of that, an older version. That's right. They put which, they, everything's binary. So we're gonna put the Jews as the oppressor. That's and right. And the Palestinian Arabs and anybody that's their cousin 
in as the uh, victims. And so it's not based on individual accountability, it's group identity. Right. And this is a, a very sad- The only way supposedly do you can see things. And here we and have- And so this critical, it's another dimension of why critical race theory and that kind of sort of collectivist thinking is not just wrong-handed, it's really evil. And right. how many people are gonna suffer from it? And you could, you know, it's reversed too. If you attack a Palestinian because it's a Palestinian, uh, that, that is equally wrong. But in this case, the incidence is, is overwhelmingly anti-Semitism. Clearly, yeah. It, it's just remarkably uh, disgraceful. And if you look at the situation... We want to have individual responsibility. And, you know, if there are land disputes in Jerusalem, they should be carefully and rigorously adjudicated. And they shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be your group identity that decides whether you have a valid title or not. Exactly and, right. you know, sometimes possibly the Israeli authorities go into the Temple Mount and unplug the microphones of the uh, Muslim officials in order to uh, aid the president of Israel in giving a nearby talk, which they put at the wrong time of day because it was going to conflict with the call to prayer. And, you know, the Muslims can take that badly, but yeah, it doesn't, it's, not, it's not deserving of rocket fire falling on in the, innocent people. It's not deserving of mobs in these mixed cities. And, you know, I, of course, many of them are Arab mobs attacking Jews, but there are Jewish mobs attacking Arabs. There's plenty of non-individual accountability going on in these situations. And to have this leap from there to Europe and now have European mob attacks, style attacks, coming in the United States is very ugly and very counter to American culture as we would certainly like it to be. And it, it, it boils down to, again, the significance of the idea of the rule of law, that people should be free to make their own choices, but they're accountable for their choices. And this is a universal rule and uh, it should apply everywhere and and the reason why uh, mobs come into existence is because they see what they consider an injustice it may be an injustice it may not be an injustice but if they embrace the same mode of operandi uh, they're at least as culpable if not more culpable and i think that's what we're seeing we're seeing this again this collectivist group identity yes, politics right. exploding but the, but and the many weird, innocent people being harmed. The weird thing about it, um, and this is the eerie parallel that you mentioned a few moments ago, David, is that underlying the entire conflict uh, in the Holy Land is the belief on the one side that the Jews and the Jews alone of all people are not entitled to have a state of their own um, and that that state is illegitimate um, and should be, you know, that the Jewish people should be driven into the sea is still the official position of Hamas and PLO and many of the others in that area, uh, because somehow the, the Jews are defined as being, by virtue of their Jewishness, somehow the, the oppressor, the evil, the wrong, um, never to be escaped from. Notwithstanding the fact that in Israel, Israel welcomes and treats its 
Muslim and Arab citizens, grants them citizenship rights and so forth, things that are not granted to Jews in adjoining uh, Arab or Muslim countries. Uh, the Jewish state is a remarkable beacon of comparative respect for law and individual liberty in the Middle East. I say comparative because all judgments have to be comparative in these they matters. They do, and there's always room for improvement in every country. And you know the, the, the reason why we might be critical of takings, as in the Constitution, of people having their property taken in the United States is the same issue in France or England or Israel mm -hmm. or Egypt or any place, South Africa, you name it. Includes uh, Jews driven out in 1948 from Iraq or Morocco or something right, like that. That's right, exactly. So mm -hmm. there's, there's yep. plenty of historical injustice and it'd be good to rectify what you can. But the question is, what is the basis for rectifying? And, and again, mm -hmm. these ideas, these principles are the go-to in every case. Yeah, which is, as you say, a mirroring of this critical race theory that somehow you define oppressor and oppressed and these people are in identity groups. You bear a guilt by virtue of your birth and you can never expunge it. You have to be forever in a posture of uh, abject apology for who you are. And that's just so contrary to the natural law. It's contrary to the good of human nature. And it, it leads to these kind of conflicts. Makes me Another wanna... little uh, uh, point about this is that uh, when you overrule this idea of the rule of law uh, and, and accountability and so forth, it then opens up a uh, sort of Pandora's box of bad actors who take advantage of it. Uh, and in Hamas's case, they're basically doing the bidding of Iran. Uh, and there's just, it's this complexity. Uh, and I, I think um, to the previous administration's credit, they were working out uh, in a diplomatic way, ways to and reduce using, the conflict. Using co commerce and using- Exactly, yes. right. Using mutually beneficial mm -hmm. commerce mm -hmm. exactly. as a way so, to calm and uh, regularize things. Another thing is that this poisons, David's talking about how this is poisoning things. It poisons the political cultures in these countries. Yes. You look in these neighboring Arab countries and you look, well, do you have a classical liberal party such as is found in pretty much every European country? Uh, no. Oh. I mean, maybe one existed in Egypt until the 1950s. Actually, the party still exists. <laughs> it gave up its classical liberal pretensions. Uh, if you look in Israel, there were there was a liberal party that got folded into what's now Likud. But so classical liberal roots, people who are top economists in the early days of Israel and so forth. And there's still some small parties that adhere to this, but really the, the military situation that Israel is in has made the national defense, national security, the defining feature, the spectrum on which all Israeli right. politics rotates. And, uh, you know, domestic policy, Fortunately, they've gotten rid of a certain amount of the extreme socialism that the early country had, but there's still plenty that could be reformed and improved there, but they're, they're, they don't have time to do that because they're so busy in the international conflict and some internal conflict that's on a more tribalistic basis. Basically, in the United States, we know we see elements of that as well, Exactly. So you have critical race theory, and then you have, uh, in the name of, of protecting innocent black lives, a Marxist group 
in that name, essentially attacking, burning buildings, killing people, and then progressive elites apologizing for it. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a universal thing, uh, a universal issue, yeah. which we should be very mindful of. And the antidote to all of this is individual rights is right. the rule of law and the rule of law. That's mm -hmm. right. And and spreading of commerce and person is uh, the idea as a human, valuable person and has human worth and dignity, exactly. human worth and dignity, regardless of skin color or right. ethnicity or religion, whatever. All of that. Right. right. History. Yep. We and we all operate. Really, some of their history. If they're a felonious convict, I'm not going <laughs> to give them all the regard mm -hmm. they might want. They still have human worth and still dignity. Still have human rights. They right. do. That's and right. The, and, and the criteria potential. of their That's status right. is based on accountability. I agree. I was just partly trying to be humorous there, but so, so we're all, uh, we agree. <laughs> in Texas, um, there's this legislation. At, uh, underway in the state legislature in Austin, which if uh, passed by both houses and signed by the governor, would pre prevent uh, the teaching of critical race theory in the public schools in Texas. And Bill, you were describing to me a little bit about what this proposed law would prohibit. Can you explain that again to everybody? Thing is, uh, you know, you're not going to. Fortunately, you're not going to say, "I forbid critical race theory." What? Because, you know, then that's you got a amorphous term there. Yeah, that doesn't. But sound, what they, wouldn't be right. <laughs> and and but what they're saying is, on the taxpayer's dime, public school teachers shall not be teaching that because of the color of your skin, because of your ethnicity, you are an oppressor or because of the color of your skin, you're a victim. And because of the color of your skin, this group, their skin, this group are all oppressors. Or because of the color of their skin or ethnicity or language, all of this group are victims. And this requires so they're, new they're legislation? Saying, Don't we believe that already? Well, this, this curriculum that's floating around in many areas, and of course we just had an instance of this in California in the math curriculum, uh, tries to insinuate this binary, everything is seen through the lens of race and everything is how, how math oppresses people, how math doesn't, how, you know, math is math. Real math should be taught, not political propaganda. Does anyone disagree with that, Bill? Apparently they do. Yes, definitely. Yes, they definitely do because the... This curriculum is proceeding. Uh, they knocked out one egregious part, at least temporarily, but uh, in the last uh, few days. But you know, it, it's proceeding, and uh, it's going to be voted on by the State Board of Education in California in November, and has some procedural hoops to go through before then, and some time for public input. Uh, but. You know, it's marching along, and uh, there are people in academia and some teachers that favor this, and they're going to impose it on everybody else, and of course, on the taxpayers, and the parents, and the children. <laughs> yeah, these it, children, it, these children are not only beaten down by not having regular face-to-face -face classrooms, the, the ones that need it. 
which is most, uh, but now that they're having this uh, politicized math. <laughs> you know, some people in other countries must be laughing their heads off oh, because, man, uh, man. you know, <laughs> they're teaching math in that country. <laughs> well, I would invite people to take a look at the article that um, my colleague here, Bill Evers, uh, published in the Wall Street Journal, I guess it was last week now, if I'm not mistaken, uh, about California's proposed math curricular standards, um, which really gives you uh, a remarkable insight on how far we've come and how necessary it is to just hold on to ordinary common sense things like ordinary arithmetic, uh, because it really is essential for our progress as a country to be able to be strong in math and all the things that clear mathematical understanding supports in science and technology and so much else. If we go down the route prescribed by the race divisive theory, um, we will lose our acuity in mathematics among our school children. Instead, they'll be indoctrinated in all these ideologies, uh, which will do them no good. The irony is, of course, is the people who are proponents of this uh, claim there is no objective truth, there's no objectivity in how to solve a mathematical problem or other, other concepts, but they insist that their, oh, view, their view is objectively true. <laughs> and by God, they're going to force it down your throat. I'm going to say some of them believe there's no truth, but the other people say, no, there is truth. It's our dogmatic truth. So in China in the late 1960s, early 1970s, they had a thing instigated by Mao Zedong, who was the head of the Communist Party and ruler there, the dictator there, but he was losing his grip to some extent. So he got a kind of a civil war existing in a, that he... <laughs> from the top of the country. He created a civil war, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah. he did. And uh, so one of the main features of it, a lot of it took place in the educational system of the country. And one of the main features was red versus expert. And mm -hmm. so he advanced the idea that, you know, of course, he wanted both, but he now, advanced now, the idea red, that red, red was we have more, to clarify, red, yeah, red, red meant, meant communist. communist. Red meant communist. <laughs> Not red. the way we use it in America now. It's just like the flag of communist China today and the old flag of the Soviet Union, strong red. So that, uh, and so, you know, people who were qualified teachers who knew the subject matter, say in math, would be driven out as, you know, bourgeois, opportunists or class enemies or representatives of the four olds or whatever reason. And, and they were sometimes beaten up by their students. And uh, people were made teachers uh, who weren't qualified, who didn't hadn't really even gone necessarily very far in school. And not only that, but, you know, the grading fell, you know, nobody got, nobody failed academically and grades were based on your political Right. Your political love. Sounds so kind of familiar. I think you can see how these things happen. And obviously the United States is not China. I'm not comparing these people to, if I, you know, I could do this on the French Revolution, I could do this on lots of different things, but it's, an, it's a, how the dynamic of this sort of thing works, not equating the individuals involved to the Chinese of that day. But if you make... Uh, something like science or math, political, you will have terrible mistakes in the discipline and you will retard the discipline and you will lead to 
backwardness in your society. And, you know, the, the Russians under communism had Lysenkoism and genetics, and it was right. false and it wrong. retarded and, their scientific progress. And it, and it meant that good scientists got purged and, and were not able to do their work and so forth. So he had a similar practice, too. Right. So in, in a sense, it's important to have pluralism. It's important to have a lot of different institutions, a lot of different channels for achievement, a lot of private property where you can engage in enterprise that's protected from state action and state right. control. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have this, the United States or Britain or whatever can have the same problem that these more politicized countries had. And, you know, we, we know, as we're talking about science here and the coronavirus, that politics can affect things here. But unlike China, where it was very hard for the truth to come out and still hasn't, <laughs> the Chinese are still blaming American fast food for coronavirus. <laughs> right. No, I'm right. not kidding. I mean, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Okay, but we have channels, and even though the government tries to tell us what to think, people resist, and they publish it and get it out in other ways. So we should be fighting well, to keep those institutions and those, that mentality of independence and freedom. One, one other, one sort of step further, um, let's assume that California does adopt these math standards and similar standards in other fields. Bill Barr recently gave a talk in which he was referring to critical race theory uh, as not just unacceptable, but unconstitutional. He did. His conclusion was that any schools that teach it... Imposed religion. It was like an imposed... Religion, but it's unconstitutional, yeah. right. and they should receive no public funds. Mm -hmm. Or another way to look at it is he's suggesting that we might need, if this ideology prevails uh, with this kind of uh, religion type enthusiasm for it and, and doctrinaire imposition, the public should withdraw its support from public schools as institutions. They're no longer kind of Tocquevillian local institutions that are close to the people they have become dominant, elites have taken them over and imposing things on the people. And if, you add, if you add this to the shutdowns and the anxiety that many parents, especially mothers, have about the plight of their child, um, who is not, not just not learning, but is not interacting with other children um, and has all sorts of psychological problems that that are being recorded now, there is definitely a growing movement against the public schools, uh, partly because parents are looking for practical solutions. They have to do something. But now, if, if the schools are teaching, and it's not just critical race theories, other things too. Uh, they're basically it's environment, teaching. It's extreme environmentalism too. Environmentalism, it's all sorts of bizarre psychosexual things, I mean, and so on and so forth. Uh, so there is definitely an increasing movement to create alternatives uh, to the public school system. And uh, the, the aura that teachers unions, getting back to what Bill was saying, is, is largely shattered now in many of these states. 
And uh, so if I can make a shameless plug for this book, Good book. Really Good Schools, is about the existence of low-cost private schools for the poor in country in the developing world worldwide, which are a fraction of the cost, far higher quality than the public schools, and there are lessons that Americans can learn from this uh, that are very practical and meaningful. So uh, I think that the the COVID uh, nightmare that people have been going through is going to produce some very interesting changes and hopefully some of them positive. Well, there's some big changes potentially on the horizon as people try and digest what happened to us as a country uh, during this past year. Uh, a lot of mistakes were made. There's a lot of rethinking. and It could be a very fruitful period ahead. Um, we're going to bring this to a close in a moment, but maybe an opportunity for uh, either of you first with Bill. Uh, any final parting shots to our friends? From you, Bill. It's great that the country is opening up again, and I think we should be optimistic, and the resilience of the public is going to give our society a, a boost and it will restore things. But at the same time, things were done that were wrong, and you're, it's, not, it's not a mistake to have indignation about this That's and right. to try to fix it and try to rectify things and try to hold people accountable. And, you know, the, the governing class, the governing groups are going to try and evade this responsibility. But, uh, you know, we, the public, should keep after them. Any final thoughts from you, David? Well, it's also in the push to try to have uh, unlimited federal spending, essentially, is what it comes down to. Is it $2 trillion? Is it $6 trillion? <laughs> Is it $100 trillion? I think, uh, just as an aside, modern monetary theory, if it's not in the trash now, it will be soon, uh, as inflation rears its ugly head. Right. Um, but the spending, the debt, the interest group politics, the deceptions, uh, the, the incompetence, I think all of that is uh, providing lessons for people to learn and appreciate about America's heritage of liberty and the lessons that should be applied today and will essentially strengthen the backbone of members of Congress and on, you know, on the state level and local levels <coughs> to stop and oppose these kinds of crazy directions and, uh, and enable people to have opportunity and to flourish in the future. I see no reason why that can't be done. Absolutely, yes. And I think probably in some future episodes of our uh, independent outlook conversations, we might take up some of those fiscal issues in a little more depth than we have been able to do recently. Uh, also, let me just invite our friends far and near. You can always go to our website, independent.org, for resources on all these topics and more. Um, we have uh, quite a remarkable array of books. We publish our quarterly journal of political economy, the Independent Review, and we've always got fresh pieces on uh, current issues of the day on our Beacon and Catalyst websites. So we invite you there. Last plug, in the yes, current please. issue of the Independent Review, there's a symposium called Virus and Leviathan, which addresses- And here it is. Many of the issues that we've, we've touched on today, and I hope people will get a copy and, and uh, benefit from it, share it with others.
Absolutely. And we're so grateful for our friends at ThinkSpot uh, who helped make this possible, get it out to our friends uh, th through that uh, wonderful platform. And all of those who have joined us today, thank you so much. Uh, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye from the Independent Institute. Bye-bye.